Welcome to Hungry Minds. This is Aron Levasseur, and my conversation today is with the filmmaker Kevin Ford about the premiere of his documentary, The Pushback, which chronicles a diverse group of progressive voices across Texas as they fight decades of institutional racism and policies of discrimination along the border. The battle over immigrants' rights, land seizures to build the border wall, and the troubled racial history of the state form the backdrop to the film that explores how a place once known for its reactionary politics is becoming more liberal, more diverse, and more at risk for violent conflict. I now bring you Kevin Ford. Kevin Ford, welcome back to Hungry Minds. I'm so happy to be back, man. Um, third time's a charm. And last time, I remember I was really low energy. I was tired. My jokes weren't hitting. And, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm happy to come back and redeem myself now. Well, no, I think your memory is a bit, a bit hazy, my friend, because that was the first time. And I ridiculed you so ruthlessly that you had no choice but round two to come back. Uh, uh, right. You know, bobbing and weaving with jokes and comebacks. Uh, so, so you had a so pretty now good this time up. I can be serious again. <laughs> uh, maybe a, a dialectic, a synthesis. You know, you, you want to have some seriousness because these are serious times. And of course, why you're here it is because we have an election looming that might be the most consequential in our lifetimes. And so, you know, to just really out the gate address, I think what's really important, you had uh, the world premiere of The Pushback, your latest documentary that's been, you've been working on, it feels like for a couple of years. And I know it's changed and evolved uh, in that time as any work of art does. And so given that the premiere was last night, and it's dealing with politics specifically in Texas, but as Texas, as we've talked about, is a bellwether for the political landscape in this country. What is the pushback? And yeah, tell us about about this film. I mean, look, the pushback in just a few words is a documentary. It's an inspiring one, uplifting. And it's a documentary about progressive Texans who are fighting discrimination and basically standing up for democracy. And the time frame is over a couple of years, really starts before midterm elections in 2018 and culminated this year with uh, Congresswoman Verona Escobar giving a rebuttal to Trump's State of the Union address. So really, it was early in the year and, the, and we wrapped it up at that time. And the film was set to premiere at South by Southwest 2020. We were super excited. Basically, we had hit the target you know, that we had aimed for of, of releasing it at South by Southwest and then the pandemic. And you know how that goes. So no yeah. premiere in March. And we spent the rest of the year um, having to, uh, what's the expression where you're like back on your feet or something with backpedaling or just trying to. On your heels. On our heels, literally the whole year trying to figure out what could our strategy be. And, you know, think back to the beginning of this pandemic, none of us really knew how long this was going to drag out. I remember when South by Southwest was canceled, I was super bummed. And I thought, okay, but there'll be another one. Certainly by the summer, you know, there were actually, we were selected for Woodstock Film Festival, which just happened in upstate New York. And I remember back in March thinking, okay, you know, by the end of the summer, fall, we'll be out under the trees in Woodstock, New York, and it's going to be beautiful. Well, that ended up being a virtual screening. So I was not able to go. Um, Yeah. So the whole year was just like that. But as you mentioned, we did just have a premiere and what we did was we embraced it and leaned into it and had a virtual premiere. And it was so cool. We had the Congresswoman from the film, Congresswoman Escobar and former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, join us for a live conversation and a discussion, not just about the film, but really about the whole election. Um, What's at stake and specifically even a lot of the work that they're doing in Texas to try to change the state and get out the vote. 
we did that and then we followed it up with a free screening online. So anybody anywhere could log in and watch the film right on the front of our website broadcast live last night. Of course, it was really cool and, and it was interesting to kind of have a shared connected experience, even though none of us were together, but I was getting messages from people out in the world watching it, you know, some, some on devices, some on computers, a couple people, you know, ran it into their TVs. And uh, so it was cool. And really that was all to commemorate or celebrate rather the launch uh, today where the film came out nationwide, um, Amazon, Apple, and s several other platforms. And we also had a drive-in movie screen premiere in Austin, Texas today. And one of the other main people in the film, Councilwoman Natasha Harper-Madison in Austin, was there to kick it off and give an intro. So again, a little bit torturous because I couldn't be there in person, but I got flooded with text messages and and things like that from people there. And they said it went off great. And that was special because people actually got to sit and watch the movie with other human beings safely. You know, safely. I was just going to comment. I tuned into the premiere uh, via, via Zoom and not being a Texan, being a Californian. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't know a whole lot about the politics outside of the film and the conversations that we've had over the last few years. But what I can say is it was really inspiring to just see how energized uh, Veronica Escobar and Beto uh, were about the film. And it was definitely a way of galvanizing the base during this critical time. And you could see that even in the chat feature um, where people were just shouting out, oh, thank you so much. You know, it's so nice to see El Paso in this light. And you can tell a lot of people that have put a lot of blood, sweat and tears, I'm sure, into trying to make Texas more blue and most importantly, more progressive uh, as far as just social issues and environmental issues and, you know, with human beings, obviously. Yeah. Uh, at the bottom of all these uh, conversations. And so that was really cool to see. And I think that in spite of all of the, you know, the disruption that you face and of course we're all facing in many respects, it's just underscoring the need for action, for civic participation. Uh, you know, apathy is going to make a change. And so, you know, in a, you know, hopefully, uh, that this is, you know, arriving right at the right time to do just what I felt last night, galvanize the base, get people out, not just in Texas, but everywhere. And of course, there's lots of messages uh, that are being, that are essentially echoing that theme. And I think you have a really powerful way and to have this chorus of voices that I was able to tune into uh, was, was, it felt pretty special. Well, I'm glad as it, you know, I'm glad to hear that from your perspective because being in it, I was more or less felt like I was in a hot seat. I was super nervous, like, Hey, just about the technology of it. You know, we did the panel with the virtual panel through zoom. The connections are often lagging. You know, the resolution is, is tough. Sometimes you get kind of weird internet issues. So I kept <laughs> half of me was thinking, man, this is just going to go off at any second, you know, just come crashing down. But it seemed to go good. And I could see that the chat was happening and that people were engaging, although I couldn't read it myself in real time. Uh, but that's yeah. so cool. And, you know, of course, man, even though we, we did that event last night and we launched the film, what's awesome is we're entering into a bit of a, uh, I guess, a second wave of it, if, if you will. We've lined up another screening for the drive-in, which sold out. So in Austin on November 1st, anybody who's in that area can go buy a ticket again, safe watching the movie from their car, old school drive-in theater. Um, but that's being set up. Uh, I just got feedback tonight that the mayor of Austin was there tonight. was super impressed and wants to help us get it out. Whatever that means, that could mean perhaps some kind of other screenings in Austin that I'm not even aware about yet. And really we're also trying to get the film into the hands of organizations and just say, look, pump this thing out to your base because um, it, as you mentioned, it is very inspiring. You mentioned Beto and Veronica and their inspiration in the virtual premiere last night. 
that's the same tone of the movie. You know, that's, that's, they, they basically were two figureheads that set a tone that has trickled down in Texas politics. And it's one of positivity and progress. It's one of inclusiveness and humanitarianism. And so it, all of those elements you see in my film, well, that's because I was kind of looking at them as inspiration as I made it. And all the other characters in the film reflect that in different ways. Incredibly positive, patriotic people who are basically doing their part to defend, protect, promote democracy, you know, um, be active, engaged citizens. And I don't know. Anyway, so it, it is a very inspiring thing. And we just want to get it in, you know, people to see it what's interesting a lot of times even me if someone says hey man you got to see this documentary you almost just assume it's going to be some depressing kick in the nuts it's just <laughs> oh god what now you know it's it's all human atrocity and and there right. it, it, there is that in this film but but you you're looking at positive people uh right. thinkers and feelers who are approaching these negative issues um, with well, that I kind of mentality. What we're seeing, you know, and I think you see this in the documentary, but of course you get it from, uh, you know, obviously Beto and, and, and Veronica herself, is the sense of optimism, you know, or the sense of hope at the very least. Not that everything's fine, but clearly they're mission-driven. You, know, you know, they've dedicated their lives and they've seen change. And, you know, I think that that's the spirit of it is when you haven't been engaged in, in whatever it might be, it, it easily feels insurmountable, you know, social justice, whether it be economic issues, whether there's environmental issues. And so people can just, I think, easily, the safest thing seems to not care. Um, and yet, of course, it's not. But I think that that groundswell, when you just have a community, even if it starts small, then you are given so much by simply making a difference in somebody else's life. As a teacher, I know that. Uh, and yeah. as a teacher, I'll know how to use Zoom a little bit better than you do, buddy. But hey, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're probably a pro at it by now. Although we use it I now for everything. Used, <laughs> I think just used to all the different uh, glitches and, and things that come up. But, but in all seriousness, you know, I think that that's, such an important message for all of us is that we all, many of us want change of some kind or another, but it doesn't happen without engagement. And I think that's what the documentary really captures pretty well. People that aren't just out there for an afternoon, but like many people dedicating their lives out of necessity. Uh, so I think that's just a great spirit. And, and hopefully all of us can reflect in that process and kind of go, what do we want to commit our lives to, you know, that matters. It's not just about the almighty dollar or just thinking about ourselves. Yeah. What about our community? What about the welfare of our nation? And so, you know, I think that's a message we all need to hear again and again and again. And uh, hopefully it'll inspire us to, to do what we can. Um, you uh, know what else? Yeah, it, it also, participating in, in the democracy doesn't have to be a drag. That's something I learned from making this <laughs> film. Like right. two the two characters that really come to mind are Becky and Ashley, who, when I met them at the beginning of the filming in, in 2018, were volunteers, uh, two young women, and they were going door to door, knocking on strangers' houses, talking about candidates, talking about the election, uh, making sure people were registered to vote. And if you had asked me back then, I, I would have said, you're crazy. I'm not going to someone's door. Are you nuts in this time period i'm gonna get shot or something like i just have such a phobia of strangers anyway i filmed these two young women and and you know they're cracking jokes sometimes people slam a door in their face and they would just be like oh well guess guess that one didn't work out check them off the list their spirit of how they went about the door knocking and it was contagious and the long story real short is that i ended up after filming them kind of getting the bug and thinking, man, I want to try that. When, when I get back to my own life and I'm not filming a documentary, I got like, you know, and so I was almost like looking around. And so I joined up and, and definitely did my share of canvassing, but it was because I was inspired by watching them do it and realizing they were having fun doing it. 
it's okay. And, and even phone banking and all these things, they don't have to be uh, frightening and freaky and weird. As a matter of fact, now that the movie is released, there's still time between now and election day. I thought I might actually try this uh, text phone banking because I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a texting kind of guy. I think I could do that. And you're probably going to get a lot of rejections, but I'm like, seems like something I could do comfortably while I'm, you know, got a little bit of free time now that the movie is off my plate. And I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can in the run up to the election so that I don't look back and think if I had just done one more thing, maybe right. we could have avoided this. And I'm, I'm afraid of the consequences. Why do I even care? Why did I make this movie? I, I've never seen a, a threat in, in my lifetime like what we've seen with this administration. Every single thing that I value is, is completely you know, threatened environment the way we treat each other um everything everything so i to me there's I, i'm just like what else can i do and that was why we even made the movie yeah and i think that that's the key is you you're a filmmaker you made a movie and and i think that that's the spirit of it whether it be you know working in a phone bank or volunteering, doing canvassing. I mean, those things are all valuable, but, but those aren't the only way to engage. And I think the key is going, how can you leverage the skills, the interests you already have? Uh, and, and in all likelihood, you know, it might be, I look kind of look at what you're doing as like a public service announcement in a lot of ways. And there's many other ways to engage uh, one's community, one's tribe. Uh, and so forth. So in that spirit, you know, looking at, I want to get an anecdote or a story from the movie from Texas, because of course, that's what it's about. And I know we talked about it previously that often Texas is caricatured outside of Texas as all states are. Um, but there's this image, you know, this kind of hangover, holdover from the show Dallas, you know, like <laughs> good old boys and 10 gallon hats and you know, oil wealth, and some of that might be true, but, you know, inevitably, Texas, uh, if that's what you're thinking, you're going to be surprised. So, so what is Texas really like, uh, if you to, if you were to sort of look at the nuances of, of the culture of the state? Obviously, that, that sort of caricature is not true. <laughs> Clearly, not entirely. It's, you know, I think what's interesting, it's true, and it's not true, all at the same time, because it's such a vast state. I mean, it's so huge, the landmass. Of course, you've got these areas and counties that are, there's nothing going on. There are just oil wells and small towns. I can tell you because I drove, I zigzagged across the straight, uh, across the state in a rental car alone. And I mean, there were times where you're going hundreds of miles and not even a you know, like a little fast food pit stop. And I mean, it was like, this is getting ridiculous. I mean, this place is that vast, also very beautiful. But then you've got these giant cities, Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, just to name some. And these cities are incredibly diverse, super modern. And, you know, so you've got this yeah. Complete contrast. And really the easiest way to think of it is, is Texas, the landmass, the state. It's really kind of a microcosm of the entire United States because you've got every, every topography there, you know, including a coast. You've, it's also a border, you know, with another country. Um, and it's got rural areas. It's got massively urban areas really everything and diversity wise they they say it's the pretty much the most diverse state in the union most people don't think of it that way but it's true. true incredible amount of immigrants uh and not just from our southern border but from all over the world yeah and i've heard houston in particular is, houston is, i think is the most diverse is, is like city most city yeah um I remember there was an Anthony Bourdain episode again it starts in a similar fashion with all the all the sort of uh, assumptions about what Houston is and, and he just shatters them looking at it today. It was, it was pretty interesting. And so along with, you know, just how culturally 
diverse it is. And of course, much of the United States is following that if it's not already there, uh, you know, especially urban, urban diversity in particular. But then you obviously don't just look at the demographics, so to speak. You get that lens through stories and through lives of people in Texas. And so what's a story that is compelling to you? I know all of them are, but, but what comes to your mind to give people a little insight into who's in, in the documentary and some of the work that people are dedicated to? Well, the city council woman, Natasha Harper Madison comes to mind because when I met her, she was a person who had no uh, experience with politics, um, was an entrepreneur, a mom, a cancer survivor, and re really uh, just a, a concerned citizen who said, you know, enough is enough. And she's African-American and she was tired of feeling like her city council wasn't representing her. She lived in East Austin. So she ran and it was a hard fought campaign. It even went to a runoff, but she won. And, and it was a big victory for her, but also it was a big victory because with her, she was running on racism and saying Austin is known as this kind of liberal haven. We all think nowadays of the branding of it of South by Southwest and, and not just that, but a lot of cool music festivals, film festivals, but it's also a very divided city from living there. I lived there for 10 years. I can tell you when I first moved there, I felt like this place is oddly segregated. You know, <laughs> like, did people here not see it that way? But it was segregated by a freeway cutting the city in half. And uh, turns out when I talked to Natasha, there was a thing in 1928, literally called the master plan, designed on paper, a map to split the city and to divide the white, the black and the uh, Mexican populations. And we're now still 1928 to now, you're still almost a hundred years later seeing the results of that divide. Yet people don't understand that those lines were drawn and the situation was created and they're just in it and think, well, this is just how it is. It wasn't that way. It was made that way. And then you look at that and that was what Natasha was running on. Well, she got in office and you know, over the course of the film, we check in with her a couple times, but ultimately faces some pretty serious pushback, <laughs> literally, yeah. um, against her own policies, which she's trying to look at things from a point of view, maybe, oops, sorry, uh, that someone else totally disagrees with. And she, you start to realize with her that um, there is a lot of racism in even local Austin politics. And I don't want to give too much away because it's a long story, but you can see the film and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's just mind blowing again, that here's a woman that I met had no experience in politics. And by the end of it is just embroiled um, with people kind of attacking her and, you know, it's a democracy. She's trying to fight for what she believes in and that's, you know, it's not going to be popular with everyone. And of course, in the, in the period of, the, of this Trump age, people take a disagreement and it, and it just goes too far. So. Absolutely. Well, it's, I, I don't know if it will come through in the audio. It's appropriate. There's coyotes howling in my neighborhood. And coyotes, of course, uh, are symbolic of the trickster, the one that pushes boundaries or trans transgresses boundaries. So it's kind of perfect hearing about this councilwoman in Austin doing just that. And I think what, what's interesting, again, not surprising, but you know, you would think of all places, Austin would be more of that example of, of what cities should be doing. And I'm sure on many respects it is, but to, to be reminded, even liberal bastions have shadow sides, have things in the closet they haven't examined or looked at and because of the systemic and structural racism, it's just built into the design, literally, of the city in that case. But of our institutions and our policies and a lot of it might just be 
uh, we might be blind to because if we just sort of were indoctrinated by those systems, by those structures, then it's hard to look at them critically to stand outside of them. Yeah. And so I think that's what we're really seeing in our country writ large. And of course, we see the, the, you know, the local iterations of it playing out throughout this country is that in many respects, to use to invoke Malcolm, uh, the chickens would come home to roost and in both positive and challenging ways. I mean, there, there's a lot of people that might be for Trump. And we, of course, grew up in a county in rural California in the foothills where there's a decent amount of conservatism. Uh, and there's a lot of people that have been left behind or feel like they've been left behind by the economy, the demographics are changing and feel they're not equipped. And I think that um, while Trump's behavior is, is reprehensible, I think there's a lot of people that support him that wouldn't necessarily go to those tactics. And so it's a reminder that, you know, at some point we're going to have to heal this divide that clearly is in the streets. And, you know, obviously the administration's not doing anything to kind of quell that. They're, they're fomenting it. But nonetheless, it's a reminder that there's a lot of pain and suffering, especially from in communities that have been historically disenfranchised. And, uh, and we need to remedy that without a doubt. And at the same time, we don't want to go to, we don't want to eclipse uh, people from more rural areas that could be predominantly white, uneducated, and not forget about their needs. You know, so I think that's what the Democrats did four years ago was seem to sort of overlook people like that to a degree, thinking we can just rely on on the, the urban educated uh, individuals. But uh, you know, th this is a part of the process uh, towards, I think, creating the kind of nation and culture that many of us have been aiming for. And we, it's going to be it's going to be there's going to be some adversity on the road ahead, uh, inevitably. And I think that's just a reminder that, you know, nothing's given for free. And yeah. uh, and, you know, frankly, I think what's a bit disheartening, but at the same time, you know, it's just maybe real is that people are resistant to change, you know? Like people get stuck in their ways, get comfortable. And when people start challenging that, like the status quo, even if the status quo is racist or sexist or, you know, discriminates based upon lack of X, Y, or Z, then, you know, it's, it's gonna be a little bit of turbulence. Definitely. <laughs> I think we're all experiencing. So, uh, I mean, that that's just one, you know, again, a great, a great story. I can think of a few other ones. And so, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fun for the people who haven't seen this documentary to, to get a little snapshot. The other thing is, there's, look, I'll be honest, it was so tough to get this thing into a 90 minute shape. Oh, right. And along the way, I mean, that was actually a pretty brutal process. I mean, if had I had the resources, I might have actually been able to, to do this as a series, eight or nine part you know, doc series, I certainly had the material, but I didn't have the editorial resources, the, the amount of money it would have taken to have a team of editors really flesh this thing out to that extent. I mean, I was gathering it in real time over the last couple of years, but, you know, and some, it's, man, sometimes you get these snarky feedback. Someone at one point saw the film was like, reviewed it and said, you know, well, he should have made a series out of it. I'm like, yeah, you know, where the F were you when I needed a budget, man? Like right. funded this thing out of out of my pocket, out of some crowdfunding, out of a few generous friends that all pitched in to make it happen. But it's so easy for someone to kind of, you know, say that in hindsight. Well, you should have done this. But every step of the way, just to get this film even done at a ninety minute length, was it was an uphill battle. The the victory comes, however, in and and I told you about this before the YouTube channel, because now I'm able to dive into some of the additional content and storylines that literally just didn't fit into that 90 minute version of the movie, but are awesome, cool, inspiring extensions of the pushback vibe. L literally in some cases I've got, um, you know, characters that I just, I'm so thrilled to finally take the stuff that we shot and it's edited and, and I'm starting to kind of, really flush this channel out so we've got additional content we've got extended scenes i've got new follow-ups 
with characters who are in the film that I've been able to go back now and follow up with the conversation that you saw with, with Beto and Veronica, that's now on the YouTube channel. So I, I'm realizing that as we go forward, the pushback, it doesn't have to stop. A movie can exist and it can kind of be something for people to rally behind. And if they're interested, they can come over, join, go deeper, participate, interact, get involved. And that's, that's pretty awesome. Honestly, I never anticipated that, but I'm thinking this is a pretty cool outcome because it's, it's keeping it alive and it's, it's evolving in real time as we go forward. Yeah. I'll make sure to put the, a link to the YouTube channel in the episode. As a matter Uh, of fact, the, the, the YouTube channel, it's, it's buried right in. So the website is the main hub for all of this, for our voter engagement tools, the YouTube channel, the soundtrack, the promotional clips. So it's like if, if people just get to the website, everything is there for them and they can kind of explore out. We've also got links to a lot of the volunteer organizations and, cool. st- and stuff that you see in the film. So that's that's, that's my plea to you to drive people to the pushbackfilm.com yeah. and get it, get excited. <laughs> like Oprah style? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> we could have used Oprah's help on this one. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure she's uh, helping on a national level <laughs> and global level in some capacity. But, you know, I wanted to uh, touch upon something that, that, that we've definitely talked about over the last couple of years, in particular, in relation to, you know, not only this documentary, uh, but in many respects, it's sort of like art imitating life. And you were just saying you would have loved to be able to do a series, but it wasn't in the cards in the time. You needed to be able to be agile and adaptive and responsive to the direction it needed to take for a range of different reasons, whether it be financial or it just seemed like those are the storylines. And I know that the working title was Kind of Blue. We had done a podcast about it, really focusing on, you know, the same theme, the shifting demographics of Texas, making it from a red to kind of a blue state. But I think the spirit is how much you've needed to shift and change um, what this project is, who's behind it from, you know, we had maybe big backing. Now we got to also do some crowdfunding. Yeah. And and then, of course, the, you know, the pandemic struck and and festivals were disrupted and so forth. So yeah. when you think about just as an artist, as a filmmaker, as a human needing to adjust and adapt and all of a sudden a promising direction gets upended, what what keeps you in the game? What what allows you to not just stay on your heels, but also continue to stay at that frontier of, all right, if this project's going to come to fruition, I have to be adaptable. What what comes to your mind about just that process and, and again, that, that, that theme or that uh, way of being adaptable? I mean, yeah, I, I would think it would, I would think it's because I have a problem with quitting. So if I start something, I'm going to finish it. I'm very stubborn that way. And so pandemic or not, it was like, we've come so far. We made this film and we always was in intent that we would get it out before the election. And so, you know, my wife, Emily Ford is a producer on the film. We have another producer, Charles, we put our team together and we just focused on what was the, the way to get it out before the election. And again, you start eliminating the dream scenarios, even in that, like, well, you know, we could do this, we could do that. All that goes away. If you kind of can weigh, what's the most important thing here was to get this message out. And then it starts to, the options started to actually become more clear because there was really in our case, only one, path that revealed itself to have the film released and in our case it was made clear to us that would be in october of this year which is just happened right so so it's like you know you have this wide we could go five six seven different directions but then when you say but the number one intention was to get this movie out before the election well then there was only one path that actually got us that goal everything else was just too much of a gamble 
And yeah. for us, that was to get the film out streaming on platforms, not holding out for some kind of movie deal or there was no theatrical option um, because the theaters kept going away. So we had a theater chain that was willing to carry the movie. We knew about that in, in March and April, but the way that the pandemic kept unfolding and getting worse, they never actually reopened. And by the time they finally reopened, they were pretty much closing again. So yeah, I just wanted to comment on something you said, because I think there's a lot of wisdom in in what you're dealing with and how you adapted and how the project as a result adapted. And, and lo and behold, in spite of the adversity, you were able to release at a pretty critical time. And you were saying, you know, when you're really focused back on your intentions or your principles, this internal compass, why are you doing it? You know, clearly it's not just for fame or to make tremendous amounts of money. It wasn't one of those films per se, but it was more about wanting to move the needle by showcasing the people that really are. And I think you said the path reveals itself when you're able to be clear on what it is you're trying to do. You can then eliminate a lot of other distractions. And I think in this time, with a lot of people's lives being upended, um, whether it be for health or economic reasons, or just feeling the political and environmental chaos, you know, becoming coming down the pike. I think it's easy for people to feel paralyzed because there's such uncertainty. But yet, for most humans, life has been uncertain um, constantly. It is for most people around the world right now. And I think that something like art, it, it seems, requires that kind of a mindset. So, you know, it does seem that there is a bit of truth that we could all learn from when dealing with the uncertainty and the chaos in our own lives or on a, on a more national level. Absolutely, man. I, uh, I, I, whether it's art or not, yeah, I often think I'm driven by my intentions. And when I don't know what to do in my life, I just kind of, I try to get as quiet as I can really quick and just kind of touch back to like, what is my intention? Look, point blank, my intention is not one to go around and and be a jerk. So even in certain cases, <laughs> when someone's like super rude to me, I'll kind of think, do I really want to now match this person or do I want to just diffuse it, walk away? If I can get in touch with my intentions, again, not in a creative situation, but even like some guy like intentionally bumps into me at a mall just to be a jerk that happened and i had the choice do i want to pursue this and like make a thing or just kind of absorb the the blow and just kind of be like my intention is one that's not here to be in a state of conflict all the time so anyway i that's a little bit too abstract i think um but but I think the spirit, what, what's interesting <clears throat> is what you're saying, how in your case, you know, you've been very intention driven with uh, your work in film. And I think that's just worthwhile, especially when things are uncertain. Of course, that industry is. And life it, it is right now for all of us. And so to be able to focus on what matters most um, yeah. is, I think, pretty critical. And to realize that the image you had of say a project or an outcome might come to fruition differently. And, and it seems that that's what you were open to realizing that you of course have this image of what you think it could be when you're starting to brainstorm. And then all of a sudden when it starts in earnest, but naturally, you know, life itself unfolds in ways that we can't always conceive of. And in fact, if we could, then there wouldn't be as many surprises and, so I think that often if people don't feel there's a clear path to success or if it feels like too much of a risk, then a lot of people might, um, you know, hesitate from, you know, from from jumping and taking a risk. Now, to take a risk doesn't mean to be reckless. And I think that like that's what you've shown time and time again is to take risks, is to take risks for art and creativity and for truth, <laughs> you know, sometimes more rewarding in the long run because you're living an authentic life on the risk side though the, the whole film the pushback wouldn't even exist had i not taken the initial risk which was giving up a 
a well-paying job as a cameraman that was certain and saying, I'm going to say no to that because this other cause matters so much to me of wanting to show uh, what was going on on the ground in Texas. And again, at this time, you have to think back, you know, we were hearing the stories of like family separation, kids in cages at the border. And I just thought at that moment in time, this is so important. I need to, to see see it for myself. I need to be there. I need to document it, interpret it, understand it, ultimately package that and relay it to other people who can't be there. To do that, I had to say no to steady work. And it was very scary. Over the course of two years that I made the film, I kept having to turn down work. Now, obviously, I didn't fully turn down work or I would not be living in my house right now. But it, it really was, it, it was a, it was an incredible risk in the sense that there was nothing certain, meaning I wasn't getting paid to go down and document, um, you know, volunteers and, and people fighting for human rights. Um, so in the end, it, did it pay off? I feel very happy that we have gathered these stories, that the stories are inspirational and now I can share it with you and others. So there is a, there is a, like a happiness to that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things it, it brings up for me, and I'm sure certain listeners have heard me talk about this. I'm sure we've talked about it, but uh, it's very meaningful. And psychologists look at happiness and meaning very differently. Happiness is about making yourself feel good. It's about pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Whereas meaning, which is what you seem to be alluding to, is, a, is about being a part of or contributing to something greater than yourself, which is simply what this was in your particular case as a filmmaker. And what the research has shown is people that are happy, but have very little meaning in their life, have the same gene expression of people under chronic adversity. In other words, if you're happy, but don't have meaning, it's not good for your physical or mental health. And so I think that sometimes we get so focused on insulating ourselves in a cocoon of security that's not meaningful. Uh, you know, it's like a gilded, you know, gated community or something that's, that's sort of cutting us off from the larger sense of community, trying to, you know, we don't want to be risk averse, so to speak. But sometimes I feel you can't really live a meaningful life if you, if you just stay in a safe harbor. And, yeah. you know, I think there is risk, uh, but there's rewards that come with that, like you were saying. And obviously I, we were, had many conversations over the years about the, you know, who knows where it's going. The path seems to have hit a dead end or oh, I need some funding and this, that, and the other, but, but you never gave up. And it seems now, I mean, I'm sure there's just a lot of pride in feeling. I could see that last night with Betta O'Rourke and Veronica Escobar. I mean, they like, they literally seemed thrilled at this particular time in not only Texas, but American history that there was a spotlight being um, pointed on a lot of the work that's being done. And so it's like, I, I could see that they had a lot of gratitude. And to be honest, too, it's pretty cool. And you'll see in the YouTube clip for those that haven't seen it yet, Veronica Escobar was saying, hey, you know, there's also, we're going to have, we're going to be, we got to, we got to make this happen so we can have the craziest hangover of our lives because we're going to be celebrating all night long. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I thought California always knew how to party, but it sounds like Texas does too. Yeah. And that sounds like a very worthy celebration to be aiming for. <laughs> I, I loved that clip of the thing. And, and uh, yeah, again, man, she is amazing. And I'm just, that's, you talk about risk and reward. I took the risk and in the end, I made a friend in Veronica that is inspiring and I see her on a national stage. You know, I watched her during the impeachment hearings. I watched I, when there's a thing going on, I see her on C-SPAN. There's been times when I've been able to text her and she's, you know, there on the, the floor. And later that night, she'll say, thanks for watching or something, you know, like it's really cool. And, and I think that has to do with our representatives are just that, our representatives. Now, I don't live in her district, but... I'm proud of what she represents for Americans. And anyway, it's just, it's really cool. And, and I and never, that relationship 
uh, never would have happened had I not taken off, left those steady jobs and threw myself out there into, into this film. And, and I don't know what it's all for, but I can tell you it was an adventure. And I'm, I think looking back in my life, I'll always be changed by that adventure. So it, it definitely was worth it. And now I, I, I do kind of have a feeling of like, ah, maybe I can kind of get back to work now and like just focus on my job for a while. Because it's, it's been like a, I've been kind of two-timing. Like I do whatever I got to do to make money, but it's always been this film for the last two years. Like every night, every weekend. I think weekend. it's got to be a trilogy, man, because you did American Chaos that looked at the ascent of Trump before he was actually elected. And so that was surreal. And then right on the tail end of that, you started what was what became the pushback. Yeah. And so it felt like you went from one extreme of the country to another. And I'm just curious, what's going to tie it all together? You need a third. I mean, maybe it's a comedy or is it a love story? <laughs> well, it'd have to be another documentary, but yeah, I could see it being like, uh, almost like, uh, you know, the greatest party ever. It's like just uh, you yeah. know, America <laughs> post Trump. And it's just this party film, like a, like a giant spring break, but maybe a little more responsible. And it's like the whole world, and it's 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 like we're we're actually ascending into something, you know, like a higher consciousness, and that's the doc. It's like Trump brought us all down so low that once he's gone, it's like we we now just fly to new heights, like phoenix from the ashes. But I will say, I mean, this we we made the film. It ends with a woman giving a rebuttal to his state of the union address and then we enter this period of the pandemic which is just insane to me watching um how this guy doesn't govern uh, it's i mean look this this podcast will air so who knows what the new scandal will be by the time this comes out but i mean just now you know him kind of bragging about having the coronavirus and possibly being immune to it. And it's, I mean, I, I, I really have never been so disgusted in my life at, at somebody and something. And, and that's, that's saying something, man. I mean, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, are, really and so are you. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I hear you. And again, I think that's part of why hopefully this, documentary lands at really the perfect time because you know when times are good then i think it's easy for people to not pay attention to civic engagement but clearly that's not one of the times we're living in and so hopefully people that might feel indifferent or well you know can i really make a difference might be swayed uh you know with this and again not just in texas which of course is what it's about but is, has been alluded to so much of what happens in Texas really seems to indicate maybe a little beforehand what is going to help happen elsewhere. So yeah, man, inspiring ultimately. And it's been fun to just see this come to fruition after all the years and in kind of the unknowns. And uh, yeah, man, congratulations. Well done. Thank you so much, man. And, and uh, for anyone out there that hasn't seen it, again, it's available on, on the platforms, Amazon, Apple, and there's others. And if you just go to our website, click on right there on the front page, you can kind of pick your way of watching it. Um, and, and it really means a lot to us, every view that we get. And if you like it, share it. And then again, head over to that YouTube page and subscribe because it's going to keep going on. As 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 we as new things unfold, Great. that will be the 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 place where we kind of update it. And there's it, there's it's so exciting, man. And the soundtrack, by the way, is incredible music by Joseph Cash, and his grandfather obviously is is a man of great legacy. We all know and and revere, kind of an icon. But his music is healing. It's beautiful i mean it's the soundtrack is all instrumental and you can put this thing on when you're driving around and just calm the hell down in these crazy uncertain times it's it's contemplative 
and it loops perfectly like a jazz record. Like you don't even know when it starts and stops. It just kind of keeps, keeps looping around. So again, that's right there on the front of our website as well. And Joseph made this beautiful music. So I'm so proud of him that he's got the soundtrack out. I'm happy to report all this stuff to you, man. It it could be a lot worse. Yeah, for sure. And (laughs) and, and yeah, man, it could be. And Hey, we still have time. You know, and I know there's a lot of people putting energy and effort into trying to, you know, get get out the vote. And yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting next next number of weeks to see to see where are we in, in November. Uh, but but I think you've made a gallant effort and you've done your part. And of course we still have time. So Again, thanks, Kevin, for coming back. And uh, any any words of wisdom to to leave listeners with? Just do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which, by the way, have you watched it again? Because I was telling you that I had rewatched it. I hadn't seen it for years. And I'm like, man, this is clearly one of the great American films of all time. And it was amazing how timeless it was, how it really does speak to our time today. And so, I'm a bad friend because I have not rewatched oh. it, even though, let's end this on a note of trivia. My film company, which at the beginning of the pushback, when it comes on, it says a Mo Freak production. What is Mo Freak? Mo Freak is a name of a character that Spike Lee came up with in a brainstorm of character names for his movie, Do the Right Thing. Mo Freak was a name that never got used anywhere in the film. And as a teenager, I, for some reason, fixated on that in a book of his that I read. I thought, that's cool. And I wrote him and basically got permission to use Mo Freak as my production company name. This was back in 1994. Well, here we are all these years in the future. Mo Freak is going strong. So it just shows you how... I may not have watched Do the Right Thing lately, but I watched it a lot as a kid. I read the book and I owe it to you and to Mr. Lee, who gave me that name, to to watch it again. Absolutely. And maybe that'll by the next time I talk to you, I will have actually done it. I have the Blu-ray. I bought the Blu-ray because when I do watch it again, I want it to be just right. Okay. So I'm ready. Yeah, man. And I do think that that is really a perfect message uh, to leave everyone with when our choice is pretty stark. Our choices are pretty stark. And so I think we all know what doing the right thing is. <laughs> exactly. Do the right thing. Actually, it was Ozzie Davis in the film who said, Doctor, always do the right thing. And yeah, with, with everything, the, the racial justice, the police brutality, um, I mean, it's it's all in there. Spike saw it clearly, and it's a beautiful movie, and it has humor and it has heart. And actually, you're making me want to go watch it right now. Yeah. So we better end this. <laughs> all right. Well, again, Kevin, thank you. It's always it's always a pleasure talking yeah, with I you. I told you I was going to bring the thunder, and instead, I I I just brought a little light drizzle. But I, <laughs> I tried. I tried always, to bring. I tried to bring something. You did. You always do. But it's good. You got to leave them wanting more. So keep on coming back. And you're always insinuating yourself into my podcast, which I like. So <laughs> right on, man. For the pushback. By the way, I'm still waiting for my Hungry Minds t-shirt. That's right, man. I got I'm I'm late to the merchandising. You know, like I just told you before that it took me about 12 episodes before I finally came up with a proper introduction and a little bit of music. So <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but yeah, no, I do. I like that. I think there could be a pretty cool T-shirt in the mail for you soon enough, buddy. I got a pushback T-shirts on my website. Just saying. Okay. All right. I got to step up my game. I need a little more, a little more swag. <laughs> right on, Kevin. Well, thank you, buddy. All right. And, thanks, Ron. Uh, that's to be continued.